0: Survivor Girls. Welcome back to another episode of the Creepin' Real Horrorcast. Uh, we sure are glad that you hobbled yourselves on down. I am that cock-a-doodie lunchbox.
1: And I'm just Meg. Nothing fancy. Just Meg.
0: And uh, we got another banger for you on this one. I'm excited for this episode. Me
1: too. You know why? Why? Because I picked
0: it. You did. Well, Tell out of all the, the, the wonderful, beautiful listeners, what the hell you done selected.
1: I picked for Winter Horrorland Month, I picked Misery.
0: <sighs>
1: but before we get into the nitty gritty, just want to say thank you again so much for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, do it. Yep. Please. And,
0: and if you're brand new to the channel, welcome.
1: Right. Um, like, share, comment. Five star reviews are appreciated. Join us on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher. I almost forgot where we were. <laughs> <laughs> At Creepin' It Real. R-E-E-L is a movie reel. And uh, buy merch. I'm not even going to be subtle about it this time. Buy merch. Buy some damn merch. Creepin' It Real. for all of our super swanky podcast designs. Okay. So now that we got the pertinence out of the way, let's talk about Annie Wilkes. And some snow. Oh, Billy. Before we start, though, I do want to mention that I was a dummy. I was a dummy dum-dum last week when I said at the end of the episode what movie we were getting into. I said, we're going to Maine. I'm a dingus. I forgot this movie actually takes place in Colorado. Um, which is
0: very interesting.
1: Yeah. It, it's. Uh, I guess in the book it actually takes place in Sidewinder, which is right outside the, the outskirts of where the Overlook Hotel is. Yep. So... Um, The name was changed for the film, but yeah, after I started the movie and I realized what a dumb-dumb I was, I was like, well, I'm gonna have to go and do that correction thing. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, given that that most of Stephen King's work revolves around Maine, I'd give it to you, but... It's an
1: easy mistake to make.
0: Yeah, but but this one, I I, I like that it was set in in that Colorado area, just because it kind of gave it more of that... Of a that good old earthy tone instead of it being the your typical main stuff that he that he always does. So yeah,
1: no, but I think that also helped give it a little bit of that Shining vibe too. Um, a little bit similar in tone and just the overall feeling of the film
0: was yeah. very similar
1: to The Shining with the isolation and the snow and the general dreary dread dread that dreaded dreaded dreaded. dreaded? Dreaded like a chicken nugget. <laughs> Simpson <a> night. <knife>. No, <laughs> but anyway, the dreary sort of sadness that comes with being out in the middle of nowhere in the winter, in the snow, when it's gray. Seasonal affective disorder is real, though. Yeah, it's really sad. But anywho, that's what we're here talking about. Uh,
0: <laughs> this is not the scene. I can't even say it. It's like this is not. <laughs> this
1: is not psycho. This is not psychology hour. Um, yeah. So, Misery. Yeah, before we get into the story, and I sound even dumber, the movie premiered on November 30th, 1990. It was made for a budget of about $10 million. It grossed $61.2 million. It was, uh, the screenplay was written by William Goldman, but obviously adapted by Steve, uh, from a novel by Stephen King. It was directed by Rob Reiner, starred Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes, James Kahn as Paul Sheldon, Richard Farnsworth as Buster, Francis Sternhagen as Virginia... And Lauren Bacall in a very small but notable role as Marsha Sindel, Paul's agent. You're
0: forgetting one of the big and major players of this goddamn movie. I am upset with you, Meg. You forgot Misery the Pig. I'm so sorry. Unbelievable.
1: I know. I'm sorry. She was... she hammed it up pretty hard on film. Very nice. Although, she did chew a lot of scenery... And her part was quite porky.
0: Keep it up. <laughs> Keep it up. You're going to be sleeping outside.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. I have to put up with your stupid jokes every episode. Let me throw a few in. Let the listeners think I might have a personality.
0: Oh, but I do love me some misery. That's fantastic.
1: She was a cute little piggy.
0: <sighs> like, I, I love that and it, it, it was very much, like, she was much like a dog like for most pigs
1: can be trained like dogs and they are dog like pets. In fact, there's an argument and some science that actually shows they're smarter than dogs. Yeah. They have the intellect of a three year old child, generally, so they're pretty intelligent creatures.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But she was a she was a little little cuteness, little ball of butter.
1: Yeah, definitely a little bit of adorable relief in a movie that was fraught with tension, suspense and overall let me quote Annie Wilkes on this ooginess.
0: <laughs> a bunch of effing cock and duty mess.
1: It was it was something. You poo. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Annie Wilkes. Her language. She was capable of a lot of disgusting things, but it's just not ladylike to swear.
0: Yeah, th- that that Christian heart of hers, like you just you just can't do it.
1: She'll murder babies. And old people. But darn it, if she cusses, <gasps> Lord Jesus, watch out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the the one thing that I loved about the Eddie Wilkes uh, just character is just that difference between the her you know being able to push and murder and do things that are like very, very dark things Yet her persona and everything on the outside is very much just your everyday Andy Griffith show. Yeah, just, salt know. of the earth,
1: mom's mom and apple pie kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: and it's, um, it's just that way of of living. And she lived by herself, and it's and when you see all this, like her knickknacks and things that she has in her house, it's very old lady like, and it's.
1: Yeah, well, it was a family home. So that was her parents' house and stuff like that. So the the whole ranch, they had some acreage too. We ended up, I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, um, which was really odd. So I went ahead and I ordered the Shout Factory edition. I think it came out last year or the year before. I can't remember exactly. But it's a fairly new version of Blu-ray. And some of the extras on there, there's the typical featurettes of cast and crew and commentary on the film and all that stuff. But then they have a couple of featurettes on the psychology of Annie Wilkes was one of them. And then they had a couple on just stalking and what to do if you have a stalker and just the the whole. um, That one
0: was nuts.
1: Yeah, the whole stalking criminal part in general, there was like two or three of those. But the psychology of Annie Wilkes was a super fascinating one and if anybody has the Scream Factory release or can get a hold of it, definitely watch it. They have a, a psychologist on doing an interview talking about all of the different things that are wrong with Annie Wilkes. It really... Her character isn't necessarily true to life because she has a composite of so many different things wrong with her, but she as a character is meant to be two things. One is a composite of Stephen King's scariest fans. So when he wrote this film, you know, you do the the book tour circuit and you get to meet all these people when a new book drops and some of them get weird. And you know who you are, you weirdos. Wave wave that freak flag high. (laughs)
0: Yeah, jeez.
1: And it's also she's supposed to be an allegory for Stephen King's drug addiction. He wrote this movie at the mid mid to late 80s. He wrote the book, mid to late 80s. The movie came later. And actually, this is one that famously he didn't want to option as a film because he was so pissed about how The Shining came out. Yeah. That was a really personal story, and Kubrick cocked it up. So he learned his lesson, and if it was super personal to him, he was not going to sell it off. Um, In the meantime, he had sold off the body to be turned into Stand By Me. He had sold off... Um, a number of other films. Uh, Tommy Knockers, I think, was another one that came out in the 80s, Needful Things. So there was a bunch of his 80s novels that were turned into either movies or TV series. But, oh no, Tommy Knockers was in the 90s because I remember Jimmy Smith being in that one. But anyway, I digress. So, but Misery, he was holding close to the vest. And the only reason why he ended up allowing Rob Reiner to make the movie was because of Stand By Me. He saw what care Rob Reiner took to make the film and adapt the body which is actually a very short story into this amazing feature which we're not going to be be covering at all on the show here because it's drama it's not a horror yeah. movie by any means
0: and uh Castle Rock which was Rob Reiner's you know like company or whatever Yeah, it was a production company. Yeah, like uh they he's like they even said that they dabbled more in just dramas and and very uh very heartfelt well, type movies. You also have
1: to think that the movie that Rob Reiner made before he made this one was when Harry met Sally. Yeah. So he was getting to be known for romantic comedies. He'd also done the Prince The Princess Bride. Um
0: Yeah. And that
1: that was sort of his God, I love the Princess Bride. It was such a good movie. <laughs>
0: Anybody but that was
1: but that was his claim to fame, was the romantic comedies and then getting into some of the drama stuff. So, it, for, for starters, it was really difficult for Rob Reiner to make the movie because thrillers were just way outside of his wheelhouse. But um, he ended up earning Stephen King's trust to make this film, and William Goldman wrote the screenplay. I think he adapted it fairly well. I haven't read... don't remember if I've read Misery and if I did it was a gazillion years ago but with this being such a personal story and Paul Sheldon is basically a Stephen King insert um I can see why he wasn't super keen on letting anybody touch it but I guess he ended up selling like Rob Reiner made a comment about how after after Misery was made he ended up allowing He would option the the books to Reiner first for like a buck to get them made. He really wasn't selling them for any huge amounts of money. I'm sure there was other contractual stuff in there that we'll never be privy to. But the fact that William Goldman and Rob Reiner were able to earn Stephen King's trust the way that they did allowed them to make, I think, like four or five more movies of his throughout the 90s. So... It was a really big deal. I think Castle Rock ended up being bought out by a major studio towards the tail end of the 90s and then was kicked around a little. But the fact that Reiner even named his company, his production company, Castle Rock, which is one of the towns in most of Stephen King's novels that are set in Maine, says a lot. Mm. I think that shows the level of respect and care and just the joy as a fan that Reiner and crew had when it came to stephen king's stories so that's a big deal
0: oh yeah and that is the the one thing coming off of the shining uh episode go back and listen to that episode it's a fun one um <laughs> but it's
1: and the shining three ways we did that one last yeah
0: time. yeah oh my god that that one was even that was even better um less yelling well it, it was a good conversation but that was the thing was with the Coming off of The Shining, where we get that the knowledge that Stephen King just really, really hate. Like you could just feed all the just that negativity that he got from that. And I never understood the whole thing of like, like selling off your property. It's like I, I'd almost figured that if you're a writer, it's like no, make me a producer. It's like like put me on the project so that I can make sure that my work is there. I'm not just giving you this, but the fact that he did it to, to Rob, awesome.
1: Yeah, it was it was a pretty good deal, and it ended up doing so well that um, Kathy Bates won an Oscar. This was her first major role. She had been a stage actress for ever prior to that. I think she was like 40 or 41 when she did the when she got into doing misery, so it wasn't like she was some fresh ingenue. She was a very well established stage actress. Yeah. She'd been doing it for the better part of twenty years or more. Um it, that blows so,
0: my mind. Mm-hmm. Because she I adore Kathy Bates. Like she is fantastic. I like, will
1: forever love her in the water or, oh yeah, my in the God. water boy. Yeah, as
0: forever. mama. Like come on, like
1: Mama Boucher. <laughs> Forever. Oh I my will love god! Her. Like
0: I, like but I adore. Like I mean, I loved her when she finally or when she came to the office. Uh, like I am a big fan of The Office, and when she was the the new owner of Dunder Mifflin, and like
1: with her Great Dane. Oh
0: my! God. And she's only
1: five feet tall, it's... so the dog looked even bigger somehow. Like she could ride it. It was oh. crazy.
0: She she told Michael not to ride it. <laughs> you go walk my dogs. Don't ride them. Um, But that was the thing is, she is a gem. But it blows my mind that it's like she hasn't been working. I mean, she's been she's been around for what? Probably well, about misery 20, was thirty years?
1: years. Misery was thirty years ago.
0: Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like holy shit. It's like she had like a really massive career in a short amount of time. On top of the the stage stuff. I mean like that that is a, a mega yeah. achievement on its own, but
1: like the, that's crazy. What, to what know. is even what is even nuttier is that in one of the feature ad interviews on the special features of the disc, William Goldman said he specifically wrote Annie Wilkes for Kathy Bates. I guess he had seen some of her stage shows and decided that somehow that she would be ideal I guess in one of her stage plays she played someone who was suicidal and it was enough to get William Goldman to say to Rob Reiner hey I think we need to get her for Annie and so the rest is history after that somehow yeah. they made that work and she'd only done like bit stuff prior to that like kind of a blink and you miss it um, bits in movies but when I heard the list of actors that they were considering for Paul Sheldon before finally getting James Kahn to sign on. I was shocked because I I know Khan's a bit spastic and he's a very high energy actor in his movies, but I can't see anybody else playing the Paul Sheldon role. But then they mentioned that they were pursuing Warren Beatty or Robert Redford and a couple of these really high profile actors. I could kind of see a few of those other options, but Like, a Robert Redford type, especially, because he's way more stoic than James Kahn is in other films. He can definitely handle being trapped in a bed or in a wheelchair for weeks at a time. Yeah. Whereas, like, you can't keep James Caan from talking with his hands, because that's just how he is in his movies. It's... I mean, I get it. I'm a flailer when I talk, too, so...
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, that... There was a couple that they mentioned, but... For James Caan, man he was absolutely perfect um especially for for the role of Paul uh I loved in the bonus features where they mentioned how uh, rob Reiner would like he's like oh when I would give directions to James he's like all right so you're in bed action <laughs> and that like that's all he's like that's all I would say to him he's like you're in bed every single day. You're in bed. Go. Have a go. good day. Like it's just like and you just move on.
1: That's your motivation.
0: <laughs> you're you're in, in bed. You're in bed. <laughs> like that is so good. But the thing that that kills me about James Caan, and, and I always go back to Elf because he's so, a bit of a bastard in that movie as he's supposed to be, but then like kind of comes out of it. But it's the same... He's got that same acting style for... He was
1: in Santa Slay.
0: I know he was. It was.
1: You had to figure that, too. He had that weird bit part in Santa. No, sleigh. No, no, no.
0: But I'm saying, like, in a full... Like, I mean, there was, there was more of him to, to oh, view yeah. than in Santa Slay, where he wore a terrible fucking Gomez mustache and got his hands, you know, stabbed with the turkey, you know, turkey cutters. But that was the forks? thing. Forks, I
1: think forks is the word you were looking for. I
0: thought they were. I thought it was a knife.
1: Oh, he was stabbed with forks.
0: Okay. Well, anyways.
1: It was utensils, but it's fine.
0: Okay, um, but that was the thing is his acting for misery. It was super believable, but it's hilarious because, in, in a weird way, it's like I felt like it was an easy payday for him because he had to do all of his acting in bed. But then I was like. That's got to be even harder to do, because there was little tiny things as we were watching, where little bits of emotion had to be either hidden from Annie or or he had or he had to pretend in a certain way, or he said something like in a in a in a manner where it's like he is either absolutely terrified but he has to pretend like no, we're good, Annie. Like we're we're okay. And James knocked it out of the park and it's like I I don't I, I don't see anybody else ever in that role. Like that's
1: Yeah, the the Paul Sheldon role is it's a fictionalized version of Stephen King, which we all know. Um he had finally gotten to the point he made his money writing a series of books where the lead character's name is Misery Chastain. And he was finally done doing it. So he wrote a book called Misery's Child. And at the end of that story, she died in childbirth. That's it. The end of Misery Chastain. We can move on, do something else. And yeah. he holed himself up to write a manuscript of something completely different. Which, um, at a later point in the movie, after Annie Wilkes finds out what happens to Misery's Misery Chastain, she forces him to burn his manuscript for his new book, which sucks Um, because he was the kind of guy who never had a backup copy. And I'm the kind of writer who can't hit the save button enough times because I'm scared to death that if I don't and like the power goes out or something and I lose several thousand words or however much I've been working on, I would lose my mind. I would never be able to handle it. So I'm I'm the super saver. I'm like backups of backups and constantly saving things. And I can't, when she's like, you don't, you only have one copy of your stuff. And I'm like, ugh, why? That was scary to me. (laughs) Just as someone who likes to write occasionally, it's like, oh, that's so scary. Okay, woo.
0: Yeah, that that scene was, It was it was heartbreaking because and that's that's one of the scenes that I was talking about where you know James had to act his ass off in bed because he had to play that he was on board with what she wanted to do. He didn't fight her, he didn't do anything, he just kinda just did it because he's busted and broken and he can't go anywhere and she's just gonna force him to do it yeah. and when she pulled in that grill and she's like I'm gonna help you Paul like i oh, it's like you know the Lord spoke to me and it. it he told me that I need to help save you and we're gonna get rid of this abomination right now and it's she like she didn't
1: like the dirty language in it
0: not it wasn't the, the just the dirty it was the dirty language but there was also that he killed off misery and that scene was fucking terrifying yeah we'll talk
1: about that in a second oh my god but yeah, but, yeah she but she pulls still, in the barbecue grill puts out the lighter fluid and forces it with to a smaller face yeah. because she thinks she's quote-unquote helping but he finished it was sad because he was so excited when he finished that manuscript and he was driving off in his 1960s mustang first of all who drives a mustang to colorado in the winter
0: A writer who's not from Colorado.
1: But he's from New England. He's from Worcester. I
0: thought he was from New York.
1: No. He was living in New York. Oh, okay. But he's from my hometown. He's from Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester? It snows. A lot. And anybody from central Massachusetts knows you don't use a rear-wheel drive car in the middle of winter, but that's cool. Especially in a place like Colorado where it's all hills and there's barely a flat surface in sight. but Didn't
0: your brother own a Mustang? Corvette. Corvette. He had, a 79, he
1: had a 79 Corvette.
0: Still, yeah.
1: But, yeah, so naturally you're driving a rear-wheel drive car around the slippery mountain passes in Colorado. You lose control of the vehicle, flip it, crash. He broke both of his legs and his arms shoulder was dislocated i think yeah shoulder was, was dislocated
0: and uh busted busted face um yeah and two a, broken a,
1: legs
0: two broken legs and i think he had like a broken wrist as well
1: something like that
0: um but still i mean like he, he was he was damaged and he Annie said that he almost died so it almost feel like there was some like like maybe his like rib cage was was cracked or you know broken or or things like that nature it could
1: have been head trauma too yeah but his it, face was really banged up
0: yeah but she was like oh it's like you know you almost died and it's like i had to like help resuscitate you and she had him up on an iv and all this other stuff but it's like yeah so... but when she was
1: going through and showing off the damage he had incurred <gasps> okay so props to k and b Hey,
0: KMB. Greg
1: Greg Nicotero, he was the one who worked on this, mostly. He's the one who did the prosthetics for Paul's legs. And holy shit, it was disgusting. For a movie that has almost zero gore, there's like no gore in this movie, um, very little blood, to have the medical body horror that they had to do with this and they showed his. This is what broken legs that were in a car accident it looked like they were bruised and purple and swollen, the feet were swollen the ankles looked like they had softballs in them they were so mangled um, they were wrapped in different places she had them splinted on either side she said he broke most of the major bones between the two legs and it looked really bad and then she described having to shove his shoulder back in a joint because it had popped out so bad um, and then she had him in a sling, but Annie, Annie Wilkes was a nurse, so she knew what she was doing. She had the training to be able to help take care of him. She also had a pharmacy in her pantry of a little bit of everything in there, and yeah. she was just feeding him uh, pain, ki- pain pills. Uh, they called it Norval in the the story, but I think it was just supposed to be code for, like, codeine well, or something. Well,
0: that's, that's what I was like, because... I felt that the, the drug was more of a, of a Cosby juice of sorts where it's like it, it, it could help stabilize but also to make him more well, subjectable the drug, to... The
1: drugs served two purposes. The first one was to actually help deal with the pain because he was rocked. The second one was to make him dependent on her because she was giving him narcotics... To help deal with the pain. Oh, okay.
0: okay. And it was a
1: highly addictive painkiller. So he naturally, being a guy who was a former alcoholic, he used to be addicted to cigarettes and stuff like that, it was really easy to get him off the wagon by giving him narcotic painkillers. And from what I understand, in the novel, we were dealing with, you you got a lot of Paul Sheldon's point of view, so you could see what he was dealing with. Experiencing occasional withdrawal symptoms, realizing he had become addicted to these pills, he had to wean himself off. It wasn't so explicit in the film, um, but there were scenes where, like initially at the beginning of the film, he was taking the pills quite a lot. But as we were getting into the second act, he started real. It looked like he realized what was happening, so he was taking like one pill and then hiding one pill in his mattress. And then, so it looked like he was weaning himself off of the doses, because if you come off of a narcotic like that, just cold turkey, you could kill, you could die. I mean, it's no joke. You could see all the people who've died from oxys and other sort of synthetic heroin products that have either died from overdoses or from just trying to stop with withdrawals. It's not pretty. Um, He managed to do that because he'd already been through the rehab process with drinking and everything else. So what he wanted to do with the pain pills was pretty clever. He um, was saving them, like emptying out the... He made the little envelope with the type paper, and he was pouring the powder out of the pills and then eating the gelatin capsules after to hide the evidence. So he ended up going from weaning himself off so that he could stay lucid to trying to use it as a weapon um, later on in the film, which was it was pretty interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, I I like that they they didn't do a whole lot of uh, verbal telling. It was just you just you're just watching him do these actions. Yes, but you're yeah. not. But you're not getting this like it's like you have no idea what he's doing, and it's just like okay, you're
1: until you think about it.
0: Yeah, well, and then that's when, like, it wasn't until later when they were doing the, the dinner scene where it's like, oh, it all comes together. And it's just and like, this, oh, yay. This
1: is where I give the, the screenwriter and, and Rob Reiner so much credit is they were really good at showing, not telling. You saw what was going on and you had to put the pieces together yourself. You never got a... You never got Paul talking to himself, going, Oh, God, I think I'm addicted to these. And you never saw him. There was no self-conversation or anything like that. The only time they even hinted that the withdrawals were a thing was when he... The first time he breaks out of the room, and he almost gets busted, and he's scrambling to get back in. And when Annie walks in, he's sweating and breathing hard, and he quickly turns it to because she'd been gone for hours. He quickly turns it to going through withdrawals. And that's classic withdrawal symptoms. You're sweating, you're cold, you're clammy, like, your blood pressure's all over the place. So it was a real easy thing to hide and really quick thinking on his part. So you get the idea that Paul's a super intelligent guy. He's no dummy. But he also has to think on the fly because Annie's so unpredictable.
0: Yeah. And uh, the Annie character was brilliant because I felt like she she played it just as much as Paul played it. And both of them are playing each other. Oh,
1: yeah. It was a chess game.
0: And it's like you couldn't tell whether or not they were being serious or it was just playing up the part or, or what have you. And that was really interesting uh, to watch. Uh, There's a couple of scenes where like Annie, she came in and uh, it was the the hobbling and she...
1: Let's just get into it.
0: You want to get into that? Let's uh, just get into uh, oh, it. I'm like, okay, so...
1: That's what everyone's here for, the hobbling yeah. scene.
0: So when we uh, you know, figured out that we were going to do this movie for the podcast... Just saying the title of the movie makes me cringe. Like, I, like, crumple in cringiness because of the scene. It's like I... This is my first time ever fully watching the movie
1: front back. But we've all seen hobbling scenes. But I
0: have seen that scene yep. so many times in different documentaries and what have you. And Best
1: it, of lists. I have everywhere. this thing
0: about ankles... Think like uh, I remember watching um,
1: uh, House of Wax. House of issue. Wax, yeah.
0: and there was the scene where they hit, cut the Achilles. I, it, I I cringe. I don't know why the ankle. Same thing
1: in Pet cemetery with the. Oh John. my god! It, yeah. it
0: drives me crazy. But it holy makes you squirm shit. so bad. This scene—it's so bad. It's just so damn good.
1: Yeah, the hobbling scene. Um, up until that, like. We had seen Annie have these really weird outbursts and every time she felt slighted in some way, she would have these very violent screaming sessions at Paul and up until she finds out that Misery died, she was kind of okay. She was weird. She was a little bit She made you a little uncomfortable, but she didn't seem terribly dangerous yet. I
0: I saw her as myself, like not as myself, but like I saw her as that new girlfriend. Or new boyfriend where it's like they're trying to impress you or they're trying to make you, they're trying to do so much for you. Yeah. And it's the overachievers and it's just the, it's like, oh, come on. Like, like, I'm going to do this. Like, it's going to be great. And it's just like, oh, back up a little.
1: Settle down.
0: It's great. She was
1: definitely, she was definitely fangirling really hard and she seemed a little weird and a little off-putting. But again, she didn't come off as dangerous until she finished Misery's Child and she comes storming into Paul's room in the middle of the night having a screaming fit and she's picking up the foot of the bed and smashing it against the floor and screaming at him, how dare you murder her? This is your fault. You killed her. I want my misery back. And Paul's trying to calm her down and keep her... And try to defuse the situation. It's like...
0: Oh, he's not defusing shit. He's just like, oh my god, like, I don't, like, he... No, he
1: was trying to defuse the situation, but it wasn't working.
0: And he's like, Annie, 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 (laughs) like and then, like, and then she, like, picks up a chair and starts slamming it against the wall and, like, throwing it At that time, he was just like, I'm, I can't say anything, like...
1: Well, he kept saying to her, it's like, well, Misery's still alive in spirit and all this other stuff. She's like, I don't want her in spirit. I want her here. I want her here with me yeah and she does she hucks like an end table or i don't think it was a chair but it was like a plant stand or something at him and it hits the wall over his head and that's when paul i think the light bulb clicks and paul's like i am not dealing with a normal human like at first he thought she she was just an obsessive fan a little bit and no big deal but then that happens and he's like oh well
0: and then she she tells him in this very creepy tone she's like I haven't called the hospital. No one knows you're here. It's like, if something happens to me, you're dead. And it's just.
1: Yeah, if I like, die, you die.
0: Holy shit. Like, and so but, now she's like, you're never going anywhere. And I'm yeah. like, so now, and this is like almost middle of the movie. And for her to just.
1: It was, yeah, it was, I think the beginning of act two, something yeah. like that.
0: But it's like for her to sit there and, and tell Paul, I've called Nobody. No one knows you're here. You are mine.
1: And we see that a little bit later when the press starts, you start seeing headlines and we go to back to Marcia Sindel's office in New York. And she's calling the buster in the Colorado town. Hey, have you seen Paul Sheldon? Cause that's where he goes to write his books as he likes to go to this little inn to finish his books in this little bitty town in the middle of nowhere. And, no, we haven't seen him. He's checked out, all this other stuff. And then you start seeing the headlines. Paul Sheldon missing. Paul Sheldon's dead. So they automatically assume he's dead because he's gone. No forwarding address, nothing. And especially where the snow melts a little, and that's when Buster finds the Mustang. And they pull it out with a crane. And they're like, we can't find the body. We don't know where he is. They just assumed he got dragged down by an animal and was ripped to pieces basically yeah. because he 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 rolled his car during a snowstorm, and the car had been buried under f- several feet of snow, so he probably froze to death and then made a snacky for somebody that was the natural conclusion of that
0: yeah but sheriff buster he him and his his deputy wife Virginia which we're, we'll get into them in a little bit but uh he had the the clever idea where it's like he wanted to go and he, he examined the car and he noticed that it looked like the door was pried open with the crowbar he's like i yeah, think you
1: saw the dents he's
0: like i think something like somebody got to him and I, they're like i don't think he's out in the snow and so it, it, he buster kept just kept on detecting and you know to the best of his abilities and um and and he's a very very clever man. He
1: did a really good job for yeah. a small town
0: cop. So it was that was the thing was having Annie tell you know Paul that you're not going anywhere and you're like you're mine. If something happens to me, then you die. Yeah. All that, like that, like that is really intense. Because then the next day, she comes in. Oh, Paul! Like, oh, like, and just come. Like nothing happened, mm-hmm. and just the the mood. And even Paul was just like, like,
1: and he a became.
0: Whole, he didn't know what to do,
1: and he started having those weirdly classic symptoms of an abuse victim, where you just start to go along with things so that you can avoid getting hurt or having other people hurt. Instead, um, a little bit. I think he does it more in the novel than he did in the film. They ended up cutting a lot of that stuff because, in the according to the novel, he'd been there for months. That
0: that was another thing about the movie that i was I was kind of hoping to get is uh, like a, a, a timeline. And the last couple movies we've done, there's been no fucking timelines, and it's
1: yeah, just keep the trend going. Yeah,
0: but I mean, it's just like I, I would love to, because. Even if it's just like, okay, you know, month three or, or you know, it's sad. something to give you that, like, holy shit, he's been there for how long?
1: You can kind of deduce that a little bit yeah. because of when you think about how badly he was injured, that takes several months to heal, how, bad, how badly broken his, his legs were. And then you see the snow is melting and it rains. So you have to figure, okay... Probably January to, like, April or May. So you had them at four or five months. Um, that's the best guess I got. Just yeah. just by kind of following the clues that were dropped in the film. And, uh, yeah, the, the Annie mood swings were, they were real serious. And, and uh, this is another one where I think they played with the weather a little bit to sort of suit the mood of it's like the storm outside is mirroring the storm inside kind of thing. Cause there was like a snowstorm going on when Annie was having one of her outbursts, which I know it's so on the nose, but I kind of like it <laughs> when yeah. that happens. No, I mean, and there, there's
0: movies that we've watched where that happens where it's like, holy shit. Was that on the nose? Like the wh-
1: worst one was, uh, what was the, the star wars oh thank you star i was
0: just
1: about wars to back. mention it <laughs> what was the what was the first one uh mm-hmm. a new oh i'm trying to work backwards force awakens and it was when the super death star i can't remember i haven't seen the movie in a while but when they have kylo ren's giant ship is sucking all the energy out of the sun in the meantime you have going on inside there's Han Solo and Kylo Ren are having this epic battle, and you see the light start to fade. And it's, and I remember sitting in the theater watching this, going, Are they really doing this right now? So, as soon as the light goes out, that's when Kylo shifts and he kills Han Solo. And I was, and I'm sitting there in the theater, I'm like, Really? I was like, Shut up, Meg, it's brilliant. I was like, God, that was so on the nose. Who cares? It was great. I was like, and then the light went out, and he was nothing but darkness, and he murdered his father. And I was like, ew. Oh, come on. You weren't even trying, J.J. Abrams. Come on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But for Misery, um, as you mentioned, where it's the, the snow mirrors her, her personality, and then when it rains, it, it's, it's actually the first storm that they really encounter and paul is in the room and she comes in and she's very different very disheveled very she's checked out yeah like you could just see just that and i i've had those (coughs) moments too where it's just that depression just cripples you
1: well she came in and paul asked her what was wrong because she just sort of just shuffled in and she looked rough And she says the rain gives her the blues, and she had that very flat delivery. And Kathy Kathy Bates was brilliant She's great. Oh, my God. This scene in particular, though. Yeah. And she's just kind of looking out the window. She's not really paying attention to Paul. She's talking about how the weather makes her feel bad. And then she mentions she has a gun, and she pulls it out of the pocket of her robe. And she says, I think I'll put bullets in it. And then she leaves the room.
0: Yeah. If I was Paul, like I immediately felt like, Oh, holy shit. How do I rectify this? Like, Like, you can
1: feel, you feel the creeps go up your back. It's so just, well, and she
0: does this whole thing of, you know, like, okay, the rain gives her, gives me the blues. And she's like, you know, I I, I love you, Paul. Your work is great. Like she kind of like, some like she, Well there
1: was an earlier scene where she, she said she, she loved him but she said your mind and your yeah,
0: work. Yeah. But then she she says I love you again. She pauses longer. She's like your mind is brilliant and you know I I know I can I like she's like I, she's like I love you. She's like and she's like don't don't tell me you love me or she's like don't say it back. And she also mentions, she's like, I'm never going to be like a Hollywood celebrity Yes, yeah, she's not model. a movie star girl. It's mm-hmm. just like, I'm, and you could just see that mode of, I'm never going to be good enough for, for you and don't, don't play me. And then that whole line of, I got this gun.
1: Yeah.
0: I think I'll go put two bullets in it. And then she leaves and you're just like. No.
1: <laughs> Wait, what?
0: <laughs> Squeeze me a baking powder. It was, but it, it was
1: really serious. And then she
0: leaves and then drives off in the rain, and it's just like, I, if I again, if I was Paul, I'd be shitting my pants, yeah. like, or, or pooping my pants, right? Because you know, cursing's bad.
1: Yeah, and he um, doesn't swear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but she leaves. He doesn't know how long she's going to be gone. He doesn't know if she's coming back. He doesn't know if she's going to go kill herself. He doesn't know if she's going to co- what mood she's coming back in. If she's going to come back the same way, is she going to be like happy go lucky Annie again? Is she going to be murderous rampage Annie? Like there's too many variables. I can't imagine laying there in that bed going, "Okay, so now it's, what?"
0: Yeah, especially when the the fact that he cannot move around. Like right. or he can't you run, yeah. he can't walk or anything like that. Like I, I think at the this point in the movie, he was able to wheel himself around. Like he was in a well, wheelchair. Yeah, he'd already and, broken yeah.
1: out. Uh, I think at least once at this point. But yeah. that's when he realized that time's ticking and he needs to figure out how to get out now. Which we'll get into a little bit more after the break. And we're back. We are in the business of misery, and business is good. So. Paul and his escape tricks. There's a couple points in the movie where he breaks out after Annie leaves. He finds a bobby pin on the floor and he picks the lock to get out, which is such a Hollywood thing to do. And he goes to explore the house, see if there's ways out, but she's got deadbolts on all the doors and they're like lockable from the inside. Um, he does whatever he can to try to make a plan to at least get rid of Annie. Um there's a bunch of different things he goes through between finding, trying to find a weapon to stealing some of the painkillers to trying to find a phone which for some reason doesn't have the guts in it. Like there's an old rotary phone in her living room but it's just a shell. There's nothing inside. Yeah
0: that was funny because it's like why would does she have that? It's like, is it for his own?
1: I don't know. Did he used to have the guts in it? And then she pulled it out like, or was it always just there? And that's just one of her funny little quirks. I don't know. I don't know. But you can see Paul's face when he flips it over. And, Cause he doesn't hear a dial tone. He's like, Oh no. Yeah. Like he really is. He's isolated. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know how he got there. There's no way to contact the outside world. It's like, Oh shit. What the fuck do I do? And he just, I don't know, I think he's, he's secretly trying to get stronger. There's a scene you see where he's um, using the this gigantic 50-pound typewriter. He's using that to do presses, like overhead presses and stuff with, to try to build up at least his upper body strength, even though he can't really walk. It's just a lot, um, especially the first escape scene. What this Misery did so well is it really built the tension. There was a... Rob Reiner said he watched everything Hitchcock had made plus some other thrillers to really figure out how to make the tension work. And he, he did a, an a plus kid. Great job. Yeah, it uh, was so good. I was sitting on the edge of the couch. Just if I, if I was a nail biter, I'd have been biting my nails. Yeah. It was intense. One
0: of the, the really like easy tricks that, uh, Rob used and the, the, uh, the director of photography, like he also, like he was great. But um, they mentioned in that scene with Annie when she comes in, uh, screaming about how Paul just killed misery, and they used a wide-angle lens on her, and then they zoomed it into her face, and it's like it made that whole scene. Just and, and, and again because it feels
1: like she's screaming like at you yeah, as the person in, watching,
0: yeah, and like so it adds to everything in that that scene and on top of it being dark and then Kathy Bates just being incredible like I mean the whole scene is just pure genius it
1: shouldn't work though none of this should work it's two people in a room one of them can't get out of bed if you were to try to describe this to somebody you would think it'd be the most boring movie on the planet it's not it's super suspenseful. It's incredibly yeah. tense, and you're you're sitting there thinking she's coming after me next. Yeah. Like it's so hard the, not to freak out.
0: The the one the this one scene that I again that whole show don't don't tell. Um, like one of my favorites of that is as you mentioned where he's lifting up the the typewriter. Like I didn't understand what he was doing. I was like. Uh, like it's was like is he mad at the like because i didn't like i didn't realize that how heavy that that thing was and yep. so <clears throat> it was it was him doing rehabilitation without Annie knowing it and i was like that is genius yeah
1: because all she knows is that he's typing away writing misery's return and doing the job that she tasked him to do and he is he's writing like a fiend he's doing amazingly well like he's He's churning out some pages, but in the meantime, he's also rehabilitating his arms, his hands, his chest, and he knows he can't do much with his legs because he can't really give it away. Yeah,
0: but but just that, that thought process of him rehabilitating himself, like trying to make himself stronger so that when he gets to a certain point, he can defend himself and he can overpower her.
1: Because Annie's a... She's a farm girl. Yeah. She is hale and hearty, so she's really strong. Like, right at the beginning of the movie, she flings Paul over her shoulders, and she carries him like... Oh, my God. Like a hunter would carry a buck on his back, like slung over the shoulders. She's not messing around, so she's used to work between being a nurse and then being raised on a farm. And she still runs a farm. She's got... We met Misery the pig, but she also mentioned she's got cows and chickens and stuff, too. So she's... Shucking and hauling and flinging poo and doing all kinds of stuff, and so she's pretty bra lass, and he's he's in for it. And he doesn't he's not underestimating her one bit, which is good because I think with the actress having Kathy Bates portray Annie and being so petite, it'd be real easy to have Paul go. Ah, it's fine. I can I can take her down as soon yeah. as I'm strong enough, and that would have been his. That would
0: have been the fatal mistake. That would have gotten him killed. Yeah, but as I was uh, mentioned earlier, with her personality, the one thing that was very like holy, oh shit! Like maybe it's like she's playing up more than what she, what he knows. So there's the the one time when he breaks out and he finally gets to the kitchen and steals the kitchen knife. He accidentally bumps into. Uh, one of her knick-knack tables and there's this little penguin and he almost knocks it off and breaks it and it, it, you have this whole like <gasps> like yeah, like this gasping moment because he, he catches right. it before you breath, yeah before sure. it breaks and um and so then he ends up getting to the kitchen getting the knife and then she's coming home with the paper um you know so that he could write his book and he you know scuttles all the way back to his chair gets in his you know go you know wheels himself back in gets himself into bed and then puts the knife in under his mattress thinking that okay i have this this option well then uh, there was a a scene where he was planning on like he hid the knife in his like cast or whatever in in a sling and he's like practicing taking it out and i'm like Holy shit, he's going to stab the shit out of her.
1: He knew what he was... in I think he figured out what he was getting into and he what the situation really was and just how dangerous Annie really yeah. was. Because if he if he kept thinking that, oh, she's just kind of this sweet, daft little fan, like, he would have ended up dead. And he almost did because yeah. Annie figured it out and...
0: She, she woke up. Or, she, or he woke up and she's standing over his bed and... She's got the knife. She's he's, got everything. it's
1: like, holy shit. He woke up strapped to the bed. And, well, no, because there was a scene where he woke up in the middle of the night and she's standing there and she hits him with a sedative. So she sticks him with a needle. And then when he wakes up the second time, she's got him tied to the bed. Yeah. And that's when we start getting into the famous hobbling scene. And she talks about the slaves in the Kimberly, uh, the Kimberly Diamond Mines and oh what God. they used to do. Um, what the owners used to do, slave owners used to do, and and uh, again, so much credit goes to Greg Cattero yeah. for the leg effects because he built these he built these gelatin legs with um, a, a a pliable skeleton, and so they could do as many takes as they needed to, but they were molded to look like James Khan's legs and feet, and he. Hand threaded like you would a wig, He hand threaded all of the leg hair and all this stuff. They look really,
0: yeah, incredibly they look really good. realistic. But that, I guess
1: Nick Katero was pre med at one point, so yeah. he's he knows all of this stuff inside and out. It's
0: it's very uh, like Tom Savini with the uh, you know, uh, military photographer and stuff like yeah. that. Like, so I mean, it's like, yeah, the, and that's the key is that you gotta have a realistic mindset about what you're making fake
1: because you want to you want the audience to think that she just broke james khan's leg
0: and and they did a fantastic job filming that scene because they set it up when they're when she's putting the wood down in between his legs you could see his his feet like shifting around like where he's panicking yeah and then when she goes to, to, you know, give him the whack or whatever, that's it's the the fake legs. But it's like as an audience, all you're doing is watching that hammer come down, and you're just like, no, it's like so you like you're not even focused on whatever leg is. And oh, but you're, it's worse, you're cringing so quickly that it's just like, oh holy shit!
1: But what there's two things that make it even worse. One is James Kahn's reaction. He acted the fuck out of that. He yeah. sold it like he really had his leg broken but it was right before she took the first swing and she's looking at him with love in her eyes and she says she says Shh, my darling this is for your own good" and then crack and just yeah. like and you watch that first ankle like it turns in yeah turns in like 90 degrees and then you don't see the second one but the first is plenty yeah. and you see her break the other leg
0: most people i myself included or like after that that first whack you're not looking at the screen yeah it's
1: that's part of the reason it's why it was super hard it is you've already turned your head because you were like ugh, and you've you clo- you either closed your eyes or covered your eyes yeah so you're you aren't going to see the second one anyway so good job with the editing on that second one Even though I think there was an interview with Greg Nicotero and the special features where he said, man, why couldn't we see the second one? And then after he thought about it a little bit, he's like, oh, no, that was probably for the best. You heard it. You heard something go crunch. That's plenty. Well,
0: (laughs) but that that whole scene, as I mentioned, is like it really was a genius mode because it, it set up even more for how dangerous Annie really was because it's like she was just playing possum with him. And when, she knew
1: it. It, it yeah. gives you the idea that she knew what he was up to. She knew what he had been doing when she wasn't looking.
0: Well, and she was like, Oh, well, I, I saw, like, you know, my penguin always faces towards the east or. It was due south. Or due south. And it's like, Are you fucking kidding me? It's like, So she knew the direction that a penguin was in. So she knew that was. She's like, She saw the knife was missing. And then, like, she ended up after.
1: With all of her. I was like, Holy
0: shit. Like, she knew
1: yeah. so much. Well, with all of her psychological issues to and the fact that she was a nurse, like everything, it it was all mise en place, everything in its place. So yeah, she was going to know, I don't know why the penguin in particular had to face due south. I think there was a reason in the book, but it wasn't explicit in the film. But the fact that she was that detail oriented as to know that that's the way her penguin had had to face. Um, Plus she probably noticed there was a knife missing from the kitchen. Yeah. She probably kept inventory of her pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So he stole pills and he stole a knife. Like, she wasn't going to notice, but she confiscated all of it. And,
0: and that was the scary part where it's like she knew that Paul wasn't, you know, like, what he was doing. And Paul even got caught. But then during the hobbling where she just like, she didn't care. And she's like, you're mine. And yeah. I'm, I'm, like, she's like, I'm, I'm like, she's like, I ain't going to kill you, but I'm going to make it so that you can never leave.
1: Basically. Well, that and the only thing keeping him alive at that point, keeping both of them alive, because let's be honest, she had this romantic idea in her head of them being together after they died. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not creepy. Um, but the only thing keeping him alive was the book. And that's why I think Misery's Return was probably the longest book he'd ever written. But he did finish and he told Annie that the book was almost done and she gets super excited and she can't wait and she was reading it chapter by chapter as he was going and just the thought that he could be finished with it was enough and there was the scene when he started writing he'd gotten a couple chapters done and Annie wanted to read it to make sure he was doing what he was supposed to do and she comes back and she's throws the chapters at him and says you're cheating like he fudged um he fudged the beginning of misery's return so that it was a little different than misery's child and she picked she noticed and for her as fucked up as she is her morals are so um She's got such a morality box about life. And one of the things you don't do is you don't cheat. You have to play fair. And she talks about the story of going to the movies as a kid. And she loved watching the little um, shorts that would go on before the movies. Yeah,
0: little serials. The
1: serials. And every week it was like a different... It was another episode. Every week. And she remembers seeing one. It was like a Rocket Man thing. And they fudged the beginning. And change the ending and that's when you get her screaming at him about how you have to play fair and how the audience was having this reaction to you didn't get
0: out of the cock a car right
1: but she got up and started screaming at the audience like that's not what happened last week do you all have amnesia and goes into this tirade about playing fair and Paul's just sitting there staring at her like okay I'll fix it
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, and like, and she she really plays it up to the continuity uh, aspect. She's like, well, if he did, if you know, if misery did this in one book, it's like you can't have her doing it in this book, or or this has to affect her in that, and like, so she's like, oh, you got to do it again.
1: Yeah, she. But he also tried to placate her ego a lot, um, which I is kind of a thing that has to happen with abuse victims is you tend to stroke the ego of your abuser to just keep them from hurting you and he wrote her into the book to play up that part of it she had these delusions of grandeur of it's like oh paul we could be the ones who bring misery back and i'm gonna be the envy of the whole world and she just had these crazy fantasies and he was just like yep annie sure are yep misery's back and it's all thanks to you and he just kept stroking and stroking and stroking um, and all that, the way up to the end of that, and that's, that book
0: and that's where the at like at times when she's doing that that soap opera drama just that oh Paul we're gonna it's it's gonna be so glorious and she's spinning around and she's like oh misery's gonna be back and it's like oh is she gonna get with Errol is she gonna get like oh please tell me and it's just like
1: it was Ian and
0: Winthorpe. Ian and Winthorpe, yeah, but it was just like, it was really...
1: And he kept telling her, no, 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 you need to wait. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, and, like, and he's playing it up where, and that's that where Paul is playing possum, where he's doing that whole thing of, of playing it up to her, that level that she's at. And so he's pretending at the same time. Yeah. Um, one of my the absolute <laughs> favorite scenes... Is right after the hobbling, uh, Paul is at his typing desk and he's looking at the window. He's so... Like, he's done. Like, there is no, like, pretending or any of that. He's just done. He's looking at the window and Annie is out uh, playing with her pig, Misery, and she looks over, and she, like, waves at Paul, like, hi! Hi, like,
1: honey!
0: He just flips her off, and she's like, oh, he, that kidder. And I'm like, holy, like, her mind! Like, she just had this image of, I'm waving to my honey, oh, he's just playing with me, and she's like...
1: Bitch, you broke his legs!
0: Yeah, he was like, <laughs> he's like, fuck this shit, I'm done, like, I'm, I'm never, like, whatever... That was hilarious. And just James were, Con just flipping the bird. There so were a couple
1: good. of weirdly funny moments in this. That was one of them. There was another one earlier in the movie where we are introduced to Misery the pig for the first mm-hmm. time. Because she goes bursting into Paul's room and jumps up, climbs up on the bed. And and Paul's like, uh, Paul's got a big old
0: face full of pig.
1: What is, I mean, I would be thrilled. I'd be like, piggy! <laughs> but I think my circumstances are a little different than his. Yeah. But. Annie comes running into the room and she's like, "Oh, meet Misery!" and she's so excited to introduce Paul to her piggy. And then she goes and shoves Misery out of the room. And she goes, "Isn't she cute?" She starts making piggy noises and snorting at him. And she like, she's giggling and making snort noises and runs out and slams the door behind her. And it's like, whew, I'm getting whiplash trying to keep up with her moods. Yeah. Up down up down up down. It's it's really disorienting. Um, but it was also kind of cute and funny at the same time and it shouldn't have been yeah or maybe it was supposed to be but i feel weird about it having like having those feelings like she's terrible why am i feeling this way but oh it's
0: adorable but that's the 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 genius of kathy bates where she allowed you like the way that she played a certain section of annie it allowed you to connect with her, and like there was those times where like she's feeding the, the, him the soup, and she's like, "Oh, like I don't understand why the kids are talking that way. Like they no, like like why do the kids have the curse? It's a very rat like like that's just that's like,
1: actually a very common criticism of Stephen King's books. Too. Yeah,
0: but that's where it's 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 just funny because it's just like she just kind of played it up as. Uh, criticism to him. And yeah. and as a fan, I mean, that's just like, she played up, if, if she took what he said back to him at, at face value, she's like, alright, cool, like, you know, I, I just maybe, like, cut it down or whatever. But no, no like, she, took she, that she like, Slight. she's like, oh, what am I going to do? It's like, I'll just, I'm just getting out of this cock a car. It's like, I'm going to go down to the feed store. i was like, give me a big old bastard bag. I'm like, she's just like, Flipping out and it, and it's making him uncomfortable. It's like really the first time we're seeing that snap, and it's because of something that she doesn't like, and it's something that that's not of yeah. her norm. Well,
1: it's because her she's so rigid in her moral code, and that goes against that moral code. So and and anybody who is not following it to the letter is a problem which is why I think she had the body count as yeah. high as she did. But, uh, Although I don't understand the killing of babies how that works into the moral code thing, but I don't know. It
0: I, I, I think what it was uh, from if I remember reading or not reading, I don't really do much of that. Um but no, it's like I've seen like some little like interviews and like documentary stuff where they mentioned, I, I could be mistaken, but they mentioned with her the body count of the babies from the maternity wards and stuff. It was from uh, un like unwedded mothers or mothers that didn't deserve it.
1: So the babies were the victim because of that. Okay, that and, makes sense.
0: And they, like that's what I that's what I was feeling is that she was getting at the mothers for or like kind of putting a, a punishment on them. And then on top of that, I think it was because uh, her and her husband couldn't have children or something like that. I've,
1: no, it, her husband bounced.
0: Th- no, but... That, they were like, only
1: married for a year and he, he got yeah, out. Yeah,
0: but because she she couldn't have kids. Right. She was feeling... Her
1: circumstances sp- wouldn't allow her to have children, And
0: right? th- that's from what I remember. I, I really need to read the book but that's from what I. Did you I, I ever could see. watch?
1: Did you ever watch? Um, CZ's World on YouTube did an amazing breakdown of uh, the history of Annie Wilkes. Mm. Um, he went through and did book and movie and kind of spliced it together, and um, he went through and and, and did a, a, basically a timeline breakdown of Annie's life and talked about her bouncing from hospital to hospital and how she worked and how she'd kill a few people and then move on. And it was this really, she was a serial murderer basically. Um, But she didn't have a specific victim type. That was the one thing that she didn't have that didn't quite fit um, like a serial killer profile. But it started with older people, like people who are like seniors who are already sick. And probably on their way out anyway. And she was just the angel of death type nurse. I think she was dubbed the dragon lady in the story. Yeah,
0: she was the dragon lady.
1: But she went about and killed people who wouldn't be obvious. It's like, oh, they were on their way out anyway. And,
0: and I think that's another like reason why she went after babies. or it's Because like, crib it, death
1: is a thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's very easy just to take a life when it's... That small. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You and don't, and you don't even have to do much. You no. really you stop feeding it, or you suffocate it. Like, it's not a whole lot, but eventually, her she started getting sloppy, and her habits caught up with her, and she ended up getting arrested. And um, she ended up she ended up somehow not catching a charge and was let go. I forget the reason why, but that's the creepiest part because then I'm like, well, the justice system's fucking. Screwed up too, like just as fucked up as you are, and to to be able to let her go. And I think
0: it was like on a, like a weird technicality of, of some somebody messed up and someone probably re-
1: fucked up a warrant or something. Yeah. And what's funny is there was she kept a scrapbook of all this stuff in her living room, like a fucking serial killer who keeps tokens from their victims instead of keeping locks of hair or body parts or something grosser a little more obvious she kept newspaper clippings and she made a scrapbook that she kept on a bookcase and in the novel I guess the story is a little more complex but even in the film as Paul's flipping through the book when he finds it you still get enough just reading the headlines to realize how whacked out Annie really is because not only did she collect them she decorated the pages like you like if you've seen you know moms moms and crazy aunt Kathy's scrapbook there's stickers and there's birthday cards and there's pictures of her pig on some of the the ones about infants there's um she she was keeping the newspaper clippings about Paul Sheldon's disappearance too like at the very end of the scrapbook he sees all of that stuff so he really knows what kind of trouble he's in because he think everyone thinks he's dead anyway so he's like, "Great, I'm fucked. What do I do?" That was when he knew I was like, "It's now or never. I gotta get out." Yeah. Um. When every other plan wasn't working, like he tried to celebrate the finishing of the novel by having dinner with Annie, and he poisons her wine, and she quote unquote accidentally spills it.
0: Oh no! That that scene. I think
1: she knew.
0: And that's that's where I that whole you know tirade that, you know about that I went on about how it's like she he was just playing possum and stuff like that. I honestly don't think that her actions, like, she knew that of what Paul was doing. I think it was just a genuine, like, oh, I, I messed up. Like, I accidentally spilt it. I just think it was just, like, that shit poor luck on, you know, for Paul.
1: I don't know, man. Annie's too smart for that. I really think she knew he was up to something.
0: I don't know. And it, it, that... But in that scene, I think you could play it up as both here and there, because when Paul, I, mean, I does, guess you could
1: look at it either way, but I really yeah. don't think she's that. She's way too smart for that.
0: No, but when Paul is getting really sweet with her, and he's like, "Hey, you know, the book's book's almost done. We need to celebrate. You like, don't you know how you know I, I celebrate?" And she's like, "Oh, like it's like uh, he has like the glass of wine, has a cigarette." Um, she
1: has, he allows him he's quit smoking years ago he's allowed one cigarette and then this was actually kind of adorable because it's so like folksy she says and a glass of Dom Perignon yeah sort <laughs> of Don Perignon and I was
0: Perignan. like <laughs> I
1: had a little giggle because it was such a cutesy folksy thing for her to do and then I was like oh that's right she murders babies we should probably not be laughing at the cutesy stuff she again,
0: does again that's the that's the stuff that Kathy Bates sucks you in with um, well,
1: yeah, but she brings him all of that, and then when he's done writing, that's his trap, though. Is is that? And
0: no, but that, but
1: the Don Don yeah.
0: So, but they're having the dinner, and he's you know again getting really sweet on her, and he you know pours her the wine, and he over pours it just so that, and, he, and then he's like, oh, like do you have any candles? We got to do this right, and she's like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know, and that moment where it's like she's getting up and she walks out you don't know what i mean you obviously know that she's looking for candles and things like that but again that mindset that annie has where it's like maybe she feels that you know oh something's gonna happen and it's like you don't know or is she gonna play on it and then when she accidentally knocks over the glass it's it, again, it feels very genuine. Like, oh shit, she really did mean or she didn't mean to knock over the glass. It's just, again, piss poor luck for, for Paul because that oh, was his one big out. Did you out. see his
1: face fall yeah, when just it happened the, though?
0: Oh, great. And he's like, all right, like, l- guess let's finish dinner. Like, let's and, talk
1: about your meatloaf, Annie. Yeah. You want to talk about Buster in Virginia? Yes. Because okay. Buster's he's pivotal to the uh, climax of the movie. I. First of all, Virginia was an addition to the film. She's not in the book. But Buster needed a, uh, basically a co-pilot for his job. So she is his wife slash deputy. And they are adorable together.
0: They are... Oh my god,
1: they're so funny.
0: They are my favorite characters in the film. Like, hands down. They I, they made me smile I just loved her so on the, much. I just
1: loved her on the phone when she um when Paul was coming back from the bookstore and she was on the phone with one of the townsfolk and she's like, Oh, I don't know, maybe he's having an affair or something like yeah, that. She, getting or, yeah, she's like, I,
0: I don't know where he is. Like he don't tell me nothing. I think he's having an affair.
1: And then when he <laughs> when he comes back and he takes the phone from her and she's looking at all the books and she's like, The fuck is this? And he hangs up with whoever it was on the phone, and he's like and she's like oh, so she likes to read, huh? And he's like, what? And she's like, about, you know, making a comment about him having an affair. And he's like, I'm flattered. You think I have that much energy? <laughs> I was like, you're so cute.
0: Oh, I can so, No, uh, one of my favorite parts is that, so they are are driving to the, uh, I, I believe, it, the, what the the last known, like, sighting of, of Paul. Basically
1: the crash site. The crash
0: site. So they're driving down that road, and... It's hilarious. Like, so Virginia, she just reaches over and she puts her hand on his knee.
1: He starts feeling him
0: up. It just, it just grabbed, you know, just rubbing, rubbing, rubbing. And all of a sudden, like, he, Buster just looks down. He's like, Virginia, in this car, you're a deputy. It's like, you treat me as the man of the law. And she's like, well, I'm a deputy that I'd rather be in, in bed with the, with the sheriff. It's just like. <laughs> or I'd rather or I'd rather be yeah. under the covers with my, with my sheriff, and this is like, oh sassy broad. This she is really like... <laughs>
1: is. I was like, oh man, she's great. She's but, the kind oh, of old lady man. I want to be. I
0: was like, they're so good, but and like,
1: but Buster is so so intelligent, and you know, this is a stupid town where the like the worst cases he's got are is like, someone's dog got into my garden, or you know. The the kids left trash in somebody's yard. Like There are no big cases. This is a huge thing for him. But he's so on it that he notices the car, like we talked about before. Or he, to get an idea of what Paul was like and maybe get some clues, he's reading the misery books. And that's when he notices a quote that he's seen before about basically like, the only one who can judge me is God. There's a, a quote about that. Um, and he remembers seeing it somewhere, but he writes it down because it seemed familiar and he starts kind of piecing all this stuff together and he noticed Annie in town and that kind of tipped him off because he'd been doing some digging and he was talking to someone at the general store about like what Annie's been up to and the store owner mentions that she's there to pick up the new misery novel every time it comes in and he goes okay thank you and he's just kind of going around and then he goes to the library and he finds all of the news reports on her in this giant like news film scrapbook thing and that's when he sees her picture coming out of a courthouse and right underneath it is the quote that he wrote down and that's when he puts it together and goes oh okay and he goes to talk to annie and um he doesn't tell anyone where he's going which is he's he was really good at playing his cards cl- close to the vest but honestly not telling anybody that he was going out to the wilkes farm to go check out a potential lead well, was really dumb it was
0: great because like uh because virginia like she's uh, at the desk and she's on the phone and uh Buster comes in. He's like, "Oh, where's my? Where I need the the, the thing? Like, where's my thing that that like I, I put down? Like, I have this. I have a system, woman." And she's like, "What are you talking? Like, I don't know what you're looking for." He's like, "Oh, I'm. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm looking for this." She's like, "What is this? he's like? It's really important." She's like, well, "What is it? I don't nuts. know yet." And he's like, "He says probably nothing." Yeah, he's it like probably nothing. She's like. Well, I hope it works out for you. It's
1: I'm like, glad you found it. <laughs> She's like, I'm glad you found it. But she doesn't ask any questions, and he doesn't give her any answers, so...
0: <laughs> no, but it was just like... Not just,
1: smart, though. But
0: that interaction of just like, well, what is it? I don't know yet. Is it important? Yeah.
1: Glad you found it. Uh,
0: uh, oh, like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, glad you came and busted my shit for but it. But
1: he just <laughs> he goes in, he tries to be... Cordial with Annie and, you know, he didn't want to have to deal with the whole, I got a warrant thing. Um, so it was basically just, a, you know, a mentioning that Paul had crashed close to the farm and wanted to have a conversation with her. And he starts to get snoopy while she's making hot cocoa, which I'm pretty sure she poisoned. And she dumps Paul in the basement. Okay. Like, she just dumps him that,
0: that whole thing was... Ridiculous because Paul is sitting at at his window and he looks out and he sees a, a truck coming down the road. He's like, "Oh my god!" Like, like, like I have help. Like that's great. And then all of a sudden the door opens up to his room and Annie comes in like like really quickly with a uh, with a syringe and goes to stab him and they, they struggle a bit and then she ends up getting him, Uh, and then, you know, knocks him out. But then, yeah, just like in a hurry, takes him down to the cellar and just, as you plops said, him down there, plops him down and just leaves him there. And then as Buster is, is going around, like he even said, he's like, Oh, you know, do you mind if I look around right there? You just gave a, a like, there's no need for a warrant. Yeah.
1: Cause because she gave her permission. You gave
0: him the guy, the guy, the permission. Right. But he's, like, walking around, and, you know, he's looking in rooms, and uh, he's asking, you know, about Paul, and she's given this history lesson on on him, and it's, like, super yeah. fandom. And, and she,
1: she opened, she, she didn't lie to him, though. She was pretty honest the whole time. Oh, I'm yeah. his number one fan. This is all the stuff that I know about him. Um, he asked, you know, if she knows what he was doing in town, and she gives him the whole rundown. Oh, this is where he comes to finish his book, and blah, 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 and... He goes, oh, okay, and she offers him to make him hot cocoa, and so she's off to the kitchen with her, and so he's walking around, going upstairs, trying to look at parts of the house that we, have an, as an audience, haven't seen yet. This is the first time we see them.
0: Because everything is downstairs. Yeah, because Paul and, can't get up there. And so there's an upstairs uh, section where Buster walks up, and uh, I think there's, like, one room or something like that. Yeah, in a
1: bedroom. She, she she finds him, and she's like, oh, here's your hot cocoa. But he says, nah, I have to get going. Um, I'm fairly certain she poisoned it. And so, you know, he's like, no, nah, I'm good, I'm good. And tries to leave, but he hears Paul clicking around down in the basement because he's like, he knows Buster's there, so he's smacking the the little charcoal grill. Yeah, he,
0: he knocks the, the grill over and makes yeah. a, a big, big, big old noise.
1: And so Buster goes down and he finds the basement door and he's standing there in the doorway and he sees Paul. And that's when we think for just a second, it's like, oh, maybe Paul can get out. And then, blam! Shotgun blast oh my to the God. back. It hurts so bad.
0: I was so bummed when when Buster died.
1: Like, that stung.
0: Yeah. Like, I was like, I really, genuinely liked him. And I was like, I wanted him to just to live. And I wanted him to just... But that was... That was really, really tough. Um... Yeah, and we
1: never find out... And that's it. That's the end of Buster and Virginia. We never get a follow-up with Virginia after that. We never get... um, And
0: she was probably heartbroken.
1: Oh, you know that was the love of her life. Yeah. Come on. And that was it. That was all that she wrote. But Paul being dumped out in the basement helped him hatch, like, Master Plan version 2.0. And he when he gets brought back upstairs he finishes he's like, Hey, I'm about to finish the novel.
0: Oh, she's about to shoot him. And
1: Well yeah, because well the only thing that's gonna save him is hey the, the novel's not done yet.
0: Yeah, he's like, I can't like if you know, we can't keep misery alive if, if, if I'm gone. Because she's gonna shoot him and then herself.
1: Yeah. And but he he knew how just how to frame it. Because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about her. It was about misery. misery. So he knew just how to frame it to get Annie back on his side.
0: Yeah. And she's like, I have, I just have two bullets. One for you, one for me. And I was like, that's, oh my God. Like the whole scene is just really dark because she is like, I'm, I'm going to kill you.
1: Right. But then he tells her he's just about done with the book and she's like a little kid again. Yeah. She's elated. Oh, Paul, I can't believe it. Like you mentioned before. But he smuggled up a can of lighter fluid in his sweatpants. And he finally knew how to get her and throw her off her axis. He throws the manuscript on the floor and when she comes back after he he tells her to go get a second glass because, oh, we're going to celebrate together. She comes back with that second champagne glass and she's so excited. She's like shaking. She's so excited. And he has a wadded up piece of paper in one hand, the manuscript's on the floor and the lighter fluid in the other. And he says, um, he tells her that that's it, we're done. And he lights the paper on fire with the match that she gave him, burns the manuscript there on the floor.
0: I, I love his, the line that he gives to where it's just like, uh, she's like, well, you can't do this. Is like, why? I learned it from you. And then he just lights it shit on fire.
1: And she, it throws Annie oh. off so bad because it went from focus being on Paul. So the fact that Paul has killed Misery a second time.
0: Yeah. And so she is like on the ground trying to put out the flames and Paul takes a big ass typewriter and cracks her right over the, the noggin with it. That melon split quite nicely. Mm-hmm. And, but that's where I was like, I was like, Oh my God. Like that is so like, that was perfect. Like strategy. Because it's like when she went down to go and. It was the
1: one thing she was living for. It was the one thing. It was the one pawn that he had, like the only thing left he had to play. It was the one thing that meant the most to her. She didn't have any children. She even named her pig after this character. She was so obsessed and in love with this character in his books that that was the only way he knew he was going to get to her. And it worked. And there's a big tussle, and there's fighting, and um, Annie tries to shoot him, and she does. She gets him in the shoulder, but the second one, he like he tackles her, and the bull- bullet goes wild. So
0: He fucking came with like a <laughs> rated-R superstar spear.
1: Yeah, it, but there's a big fight, and they're wrestling each other on the floor and trying to hurt each other, and he's stuffing ashes in her mouth. Oh, my is,
0: God, that was so cool.
1: Really? That does a scene that burns in your head. With that, because he's just pressing these smoldering pages down her throat.
0: Yeah, well, and, and the 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 great thing too is that
1: uh, swearing at her.
0: Yeah, it's like we um we saw the the b where they they made a head, like so that James Conn could just really get in, you know, with it. But it not, looks not so on
1: film though; you can't tell. No.
0: Like I, I honestly thought that it was it was Kathy Bates and it was that that good.
1: Yeah, so, and then the only well time, done, Greg. The, the only time you see the slip, and you know it's a prosthetic is when her head hits the typewriter. Yep. When he throws her off of him, and she cracks, she falls and hits her head on the corner of the typewriter. There's that real quick flash, and you can see that it's a gelatin head, but it doesn't matter at that point because you're like, holy shit, is Annie Wilkes actually dead this time? Because there's like a, there's a couple false finishes in there and you can't be a hundred percent sure. But yeah, there was this, and she just is laid out on, Paul just like throws her off of his body and is like laying there. And then you cut to the end where he's meeting his agent for dinner. Um, been clearly suffering from hallucinations and PTSD because he thinks one of the servers is Annie Wilkes for a second
0: well like yeah the the server the dessert server is uh, I'm
1: your number one fan
0: yeah and mm. she they, it's I
1: highly doubt that <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like that that's really nice thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but like that was that was the thing is it, the image of Annie is going to stick with him for
1: Ever probably the rest of his
0: life, and that is a very terrifying moment because he's never going to be able to, to live that down. And even uh you know his you know the, his manager or the um, his agent a Mar- Mar- is it Marsha right?
1: Yeah,
0: Marsha. Um, she asked. She's like, you know, how do you feel about uh, you know doing a book on what happened to you? And you know and. Paul even says, like, oh, well, I, you know, I guess, you know, making money off of my misery. And <laughs> she's like, well, it
1: wouldn't be the first time. Like, hey,
0: like, I mean, and yeah, I mean, his story was so crazy that the world would love to hear it, but it would make for entertainment. Yeah. And it's Paul. Well, D- it's probably
1: because he, there's a good chance he hadn't talked about it. No. And it was just world famous author Paul Sheldon goes missing, assumed dead, and then magically is found again which makes me think that maybe buster did tell someone where he was going because someone had to find paul unless paul managed to find the jeep keys and stole annie's car well
0: that and that's something that i was always that i was very curious about was so after he kills annie and,
1: and the time
0: jump yeah it 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 kind of fades and then it fades into new york
1: like, so, months later. Months and yeah. yeah.
0: And, like, Paul has already written another book, um, and he's moving on from misery. He's all excited. Uh, the, like, he's actually winning awards for this book because, like, it, now he's being really considered as, like, a legit author. Yeah, and, he wasn't just
1: writing, like, um, women's fiction. Yeah. yeah. and Housewife fiction.
0: Yeah, and so it was just really interesting to see that that transition but it's like how did he get out of there like that's the yeah. stuff, that's the stuff i want to know about where it's like did he i wanted to at least see him you know uh, army crawling to to the jeep, or and then you know getting in there with a stick and like you know using the the pedals, and you're know, driving I, his his way out. Yeah, there. there's
1: there's literally only two options: either Paul told somebody and we weren't privy to it, or he managed to find the keys and get himself out. Yeah. So I mean, it really. D-
0: or did he, uh, you know, scuttle his way out and you know dragged his wheelchair out and then he wheelchaired himself out because at this point. To- point in the story it's not snowing or anything like that so it's it's it's
1: firmly like late in the spring he could
0: have he could have wheeled himself out down the road and and got away that way you know
1: well it's funny because like yeah I don't know I you kind of just assume and that's I'm okay with that filling in the blanks yourself, myself yourself whatever I that doesn't bother me because we do know that Paul survives in the end so I don't mind filling in the blanks there the thing is, though, is the movie ending is very different from the the book ending because I guess in the book ending he does publish Misery's Return, and Annie did. She cut Annie also cut off his foot and cut off one of his fingers, so that's fun. Um, but he ended up not being strong enough at the time to stand up to his fans, and so he published the misery's return book i guess at the very very end he did manage to write the novel he wanted to write but um he just sort of went back to the status quo afterwards which is not great i think the way that william goldman changed the ending was definitely for the better with this film because i think if you were watching it on screen and you just saw him go back to the same old same old it would have felt like the whole experience was for nothing It would have just been a waste, and he didn't learn anything from it. But in the film version, he did, and he burned, actually burned Misery's Return, walked away from that series completely, and the novel he published was up for a bunch of awards and was getting a ton of critical praise. It was selling like crazy. Um, he, He was doing better for himself because he decided to do the thing he wanted to do, which was the whole point. <laughs> so I think William Goldman might have done it a little bit better than what King had done.
0: Well, even King is is gone and said like uh, I guess like he liked were, that ending better. Yeah, when they were filming, he's like he said, like, "Why didn't I think of that?" Like that, or, or even the some of the stuff with um, the the hobbling, where like Rob Reiner and like he goes up to Greg Nicotero and he's like, "Okay, guys." So in the the novel, she. Cuts off his foot.
1: We can't
0: do that. Like we can't go that far. Honestly,
1: it would have been less gruesome if she cut his foot off with an axe.
0: Yeah, I, I. And then she
1: brought out like a blowtorch and cauterized the stump. Like it was really.
0: Yeah, and but somehow
1: I feel like that was.
0: The the hobbling was much worse because it, it really
1: was.
0: And and I think it was it was much worse because she had a history lesson behind it.
1: The same history lesson was there. They just, they just changed the method a little.
0: No, but like, like the hobbling that is an actual thing, and so it was. And her giving the lesson and being very sweet about it, and then on top of that, where she's like, "I know what you're, what you've been doing," um, like all that mixed into this pot, where it, it's just the buildup to. The whacking <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that's the, I don't know by the time oh the, my God, the, by the so time good. the credits rolled on um, this movie, I felt like I needed a cigarette. I was just I was out of breath. I felt like i I felt really tense, like it was almost like this huge exhale when the credits finally rolled because there that movie was just so uncomfortable to be in, and it's not in a way that's like. I never want to watch this movie again. This was the worst, like a terrible cinematic experience. It was a a great one. Don't get me wrong with that. But it was definitely this discomfort and tension that I don't get a lot from film. And this was done really, really well. And for being 30 years old, it's aging incredibly well. And I can see why Kathy Bates won an Oscar for that. Oh, yeah. But that's her for her first major film role.
0: That's that's so, huge.
1: That's a really big deal. Good for her. Not that the Oscars mean much after Kevin Smith told you you basically buy yourself an Oscar. It's kind of like oh cool. That's yeah, great.
0: but back but, back then it was. I think it was a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's about the same. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to campaign for it. So yeah. it's, but it's still, it did really really well. Um, I didn't know how I was gonna feel going into it. Because of the whole premise of it's two people in a room talking, basically, but boh.
0: Yeah. you want to give your uh, skull rating on this one, the sweetie?
1: Yeah, this is this is a rarity for me because uh, if you've been listening for a while, you know I don't just hand these out willy nilly. This is a solid five. Nice. Yeah, the in terms of kills, it was only a couple. Um, so literally
0: like, a, a couple. I
1: think it was two, but it was. <laughs> quality not quantity in this movie the first one was a character that you would get very attached to and then the second one was the antagonist who you uh, by the end of it you were like please kill her because she's the worst so both of them were satisfying for different reasons and done very well even in their simplicity um the overall enjoyability i like i mentioned before like the this movie made me feel something Granted, they were negative feelings because it was suspense and tension and all of those. But I don't feel stuff when I watch films a lot of the time. So if you can elicit a genuine reaction of any kind out of me because I'm very, I don't know, I'm not easy to impress. And I'm also not excitable really at all, which I know drives you nuts because giving gifts is a pain in the ass.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yep. I'm just like. I can't say enough good things about this. I I know it's more of a thriller. It leans more heavily on the thriller, but there are enough elements definitely to qualify this as a horror movie. Um, and I really think the line between thrillers and horrors are so messy and blurry that it really doesn't matter. <clears throat> um, the, usually the difference is just the gore when they're done correctly. So... It's a five out of five for me. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about this. And the Scream Factory edition, if you can get your hands on it, is 100% worth it. Because there's a lot of... I mean, there's not a ton of special features. But what they do provide for the bonus material is quality stuff.
0: Nice. Uh, For my skull rating... um, I fucking hated this movie. It was a, a, a miserable time. You fucking liar! <laughs> Damn it! I was trying to get you. It no. Ain't gonna work. This movie's fucking great. Love this goddamn film. You didn't want to so watch much. it. I didn't want to watch it because I was just the the cringiness of what I knew was gonna happen. I know,
1: but when I told you I wanted to put this on the schedule, you were like, "Ooh, like, yeah, yeah." But, you didn't want to do it.
0: No, but like I wanted to do it. For the sheer fact that I've never seen it.
1: Right, but I think at one point you asked me, do we have to? Yeah,
0: because I I didn't (laughs) want to go through the hobbling scene. Like, that was the thing. But I absolutely love this movie. And for my skull rating, at first it was like around like a 4.9. And I just said, fuck it, let's kick it. Kick the dough in. It's giving it a 5. I'm giving it a solid 5 out of 5 as well. I'm very proud that you and me both are on that same level of holy nuts
1: nutty nuts this is a good one um I'm really I'm really glad we did it it's it's one that I've wanted to watch but I've also kind of avoided because I know that how you feel about the hobbling scene and a lot of times I'll watch movies that I want to watch without you around because I don't want you to be like oh no so I'm really glad you were on the same page with me. Yeah, on no, this but one. I
0: mean, but like Kathy Bates is a, a fucking gem. I absolutely love her. James Caan, like he is so good. Um, and I mean, like they were a really perfect pair. Yeah, this movie um, is
1: an absolute. It's an American treasure for yeah, sure. I mean, thank you so much, Rob Reiner for and William Goldman for and making Rob this Reiner. Life.
0: I absolutely love Rob Reiner.
1: Well, his movies tend to be. There he's got way more hits than misses.
0: Yeah, and I mean I I love like all in the family, his Meathead. I mean, he had a name. I know, but it's it's funny you're calling Meathead. Um, But that was the thing is like it. He was just like he's just great on his own. His movies are great, and you could tell like the quality that they puts into it, and
1: there's a lot of care put in these movies, and
0: and and you could show that there's. It's like when you go and you like to a grandmother's house and she's making you cookies. You know that she's making like that little extra ingredient
1: is love.
0: of love and care and comfort is all in that one little cookie, and you could taste it compared to when you buy it out of the box. So, and are you
1: saying that misery is one of Granny's cookies?
0: Damn straight, it is. It is a, <laughs> it is a delightful chocolatey chip cookie, just all nestled and just with nice. a
1: sledgehammer inside.
0: Fuck yeah, it's fucking great. Like I I, I didn't think that I was going to like this movie as much as I as much. Same.
1: But the thing that tipped me off that made me know I was definitely in for it is I wasn't looking at the clock. I there was no point in this film where I was like is it over yet? How yeah. close are we to the end? Because if if I'm not enjoying myself, I do get impatient with it. But my, I wasn't doing that at all. One of way.
0: my one of my favorite scenes, um, and and I, I've heard Rob Bronner like in the documentary stuff that we watched where Rob like one of his favorite scenes in the movie is when uh Buster and Virginia are out at the side of the road <laughs> looking for the crash. <laughs> and so I'm gonna I'm gonna back it up to the scene that uh, I'm going to extend it out. she's feeling him up? So, no, 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 no. It's, uh... So, they're at the crash site, and he noticed that there was a tree branch that was broken.
1: Buster.
0: Buster. Buster noticed that there was a tree branch broken, and he's like, oh, you see that? He's like, that could have been caused by, you know, the storm. It could have been caused by anything. It could also be, it could have been caused by... A, a car. A, a car or something. So, he's like, uh, Like... Again, Buster being a smart, good cop,
1: eagle eyes too. Yeah, he saw he, that from the road. Exactly,
0: and so that's that's just him, you know, going off of his senses and everything else, which is great.
1: That's a Lo- man who hunts. I
0: love me a smart cop.
1: He is a, but you can tell he's a hunter. Yes, because he knows the signs to look for when you're tracking something.
0: So they, he's going in like he's going down the snowbank, and he's like inches away from the car. And he falls in the snow, and Virginia. Up to his waist. Yeah, Virginia's like, he's like, you do know? Or it's like, uh, it's like, uh. She
1: asked him if he needs help. Yeah,
0: she's like, need help. He's like, no, I'm having a great time down here. <laughs> just like, <laughs> giving her shit. But then, like, again, he's inches away from his car or from the, the wreck, and he's like, he just kind of like gives up. He can't,
1: snow's but, too deep. Yeah,
0: snow. And so he just, he walks away, and I'm like, oh my god, you're right there, dude.
1: Well, because we see the tire poking out of the so snow, he didn't.
0: They they walk up the bank, and he's like, "All right, well, let, let, let's let's go." So they're getting back in their car. This is the 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 scene is where the camera is, is is following the road going past Buster, and then the camera pans over just to the left, and it's Annie driving past. So the person that's holding the person they're looking for is driving. Like they're just, and they don't even notice each other. Like that is awesome. Awesome. Like it was such a cool scene and it's very simple and it's just, and, and her face, like she knows who Buster is.
1: No, but she didn't notice him on the road and he didn't notice her driving by. They oh no. she like,
0: she she's, like, had this like fate, like, this happy she face was, and just,
1: she was on a mission. She yeah. had to go to the store.
0: But I was like that that whole scene. Like, there's so many, just nice little. Uh, like one of my favorite things about this movie is the whole, uh, you know, just uh, look don't tell that that aspect.
1: It, just, yeah, it's a show don't tell. Show don't
0: tell. But there's but. also
1: there's also um, some mastery of the art of subtlety here.
0: Like it's so yeah it's, it's
1: obviously uh, not referencing the hobbling. Scene no, but, but like but that.
0: still. I'm I'm super stoked that this movie was a five out of five for the both of us. Same. I mean, um that that rarely happens. I mean, if I give my like crazy gold or platinum, you know, whatever, I mean you might get close to a five, but Never have we it's, ever... Never. I think Shaun
1: of the Dead's the only other one that we... Well, you gave it a gold I gave it.
0: I, I gave it a platinum. Like, I, I gave it a gave it five. I mean, it's still... I'm wh- just
1: not as... I'm not as dramatic. I don't have the flair you do. Sorry. No,
0: but, like, like that's the thing is, like, when I give a gold or my platinum or, or when it comes to Jaws where Your it's...
1: adamantium like, skull because like. you're ridiculous.
0: <laughs> that that was me being... But those are, are where it becomes... Like a, like, it's literally a five out of five across of five. the board. Like for like, all of our skull rating criteria, and I mean, and, and those are my all-time favorites, right? By far.
1: Well, and, speaking of all-time favorites, yeah. Guess what's coming up next week?
0: <laughs> can I can I say it? Can I say it?
1: Yeah, coming up next week is one of Craig's all-time favorites.
0: We're gonna do the thing, John Carpenter's a thing from 1982. We're gonna bring it to you cause we love you
1: with a song.
0: Damn straight, God, I love that movie.
1: The jingle, yeah,
0: not to not to you know bury the lead on the next thing. Just no, to, no, no, it's fine. Know. Just go for it. Yeah,
1: you just it's I mean you did you sang about it. It's great, <laughs> so, so, and we're gonna do it. So hit that subscribe button so you will get next week's episode, the thing, dropped into your favorite podcatcher that Tuesday. You can like, share, comment, tell your friends, please. We can't grow our channel without you guys. Um, join us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher at Creepin' It Real. You can also buy us some merch. You can go to Com to get all of our lunchbox designs. They're unique, one of a kind, done on t shirts and mugs and stationery and home goods even. Yeah. So there's a ton of good stuff going at on there.
0: All designed by me and some pretty pretty clever artwork if I do say so, myself. Cause you do little all, uh, little toot toot.
1: You do all the damn work. Yeah, and
0: like uh if you guys want a, a quick link to you can go to our Instagram and in our uh, Just a look at the bio. Yeah, in the in the bio. Click on that thing and it'll take you right to the page and shop to your heart's content.
1: And if you have a movie idea that maybe you want to hear us cover or if you'd like to sponsor an episode, you can email us at creepingitreal.cm at gmail.com.
0: And hell, if you want to send us some stuff, again, DM us. I like free shit. <laughs> so,
1: God, we're shameless whores. I
0: don't care. Give me some shit. I love it. <laughs> All
1: right. So that wraps it up. That's it for our little side trip to Colorado. So join us next week in Antarctica. Until then, I've been Meg.
0: I have been the cockadoodie lunchbox. Ow,
1: ow, 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 ow.